You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. It's Locked On Hornets. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week slash year coming up later in the episode. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, at Walker Mail, and at Nod of the so we'll get to our other player capsule. We teased it in yesterday's episode. PJ Washington is next on this list. We have our Michelob Ultra Player of the Year duties to get to in the first segment. PJ Washington's stretch will be in there. This is what we're doing. What we've done already is given you the real candidates. You've basically got three candidates to choose from. We all felt that, and by all, I mean me and Nada, mm-hmm. we felt that it would be uh, that it would be uh, Miles Bridges. Terry Rozier yes. and LaMelo yes. Ball, all three of those players were really the only ones truly worthy of player of the year for the Charlotte Hornets consideration. We are also going to put it out there on a poll at the end of this. If you want to vote mm-hmm. on the other, if there is somebody you felt was better than that for maybe you've got the best advanced stats in the world. Maybe your eye test is just so far beyond what we see out there, which I don't even mean in sarcasm. You might really have that. That's fine. Go ahead and put your right in in and we can figure out if they can truly compete with those three contestants. But what I wanted to do here today is go through the honorable mentions on this team and more so with the stretches, right? Like what we're doing is we're making the little stretches and we're giving them their day. That's what we're doing with the player. No, 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 no. We're not giving them their day. We're just giving them a segment. That's true. What what is this about their day? Again, these little stretches don't deserve a day. I'm a generous man. I'm sorry. That is the difference between us. I am generous and you are here to keep it real. That is what makes us good pod parents. So let's start with let's start with Malik Monk just because we already talked about him so much, right? Like we already talked about his stretch. We literally took a deep dive on that because he was our first player capsule. The 46% from the field thing, 46.5% uh, you know, shooting over 40% from three, that stretch that he had was awesome, right? We got to see some fantastic moments. The Miami heat game comes to mind. The game winning play against Sacramento, where he goes to the free throw line, nails it. Sacramento chokes. You get miracle at midnight 2.0. We'll also mention PJ in that game here in this one, but just as far as little stretches go, Malik really did provide something awesome for this team when he was healthy in what was a large portion of Malik's season when he was getting getting minutes. That is something that we will give an honorable mention. If we're doing these stretches here today in this segment, then Malik Monk's stretch is certainly up there. No, Malik Monk's stretch is up there. Again, he won a couple of games in the middle of that stretch and he provided a lot of, he provided a lot of functional scoring. Again, we talked about it yesterday. He helped win them the Phoenix game. He helped win them a Miami game. He helped, again, he helped win them games. He made winning plays. So if we're going to talk about people that had a little stretch that helped, obviously the that stretch probably comes to mind first. Yeah, Malik, Malik was Malik was awesome, certainly within that time frame. So let's get to Gordon Hayward. We already spent plenty of time yeah. on Malik yesterday. Let's get to Gordon Hayward because he's interesting. He's a guy that I, I think most people would have 
put at the end of the year if you were to trying to figure out who would be here at the beginning of the year. And he had good numbers when he played. So his numbers are 19 and a half points per game. He shot 47.3% from the field. He shot 41.5% from three on almost five attempts per game. So his effective field goal percentage comes out at 53.7. The assist, he got you four game. He got you six rebounds per game. The free throw percentage, it was good at 84.3. And he actually got to the line a decent amount at Mm 4.2. There were times where he just wouldn't go to the free throw line. Maybe you wanted him to go there more. Um, He certainly had that capability. That was a little roller coastery. Either way, Gordon Hayward was putting up all-star type numbers before he started to tail a little bit, and then he had the injury, and it took him out for the rest of the year. He only appeared in 44 games, started 44 games that he appeared in, but only appeared in those 44. But still, not. this is a guy that I think... Uh, until Terry started to pick up steam, certainly as an offensive threat for what he was doing in that stretch too. Gordon Hayward was the guy that was clearly the best player on the floor for Charlotte. He was, he was the guy that could do a little bit of everything, you know, uh, in a half court set, Gordon could bail you out a little bit defensively. I thought he had some problems, but offensively he could assist you. He was a smart decision maker. You know, the shot is pure. Again, he shot over 40% from three on an, on a decent volume. He could come out and he won you some games early on as well. Like Gordon stretch, if he would have played, I don't know, let's maybe it's kind of arbitrary, but let's say you put 10 more games on his plate, then Gordon probably is within that trio of truly guys that should be considered for player of the year. No, no, he absolutely is. Like, he's one of those guys that I needed to see what the team was like without him to really appreciate him. And good Lord, did we have a lot of time to look at what the team looked like without him. He was the the most steadying force on offense. Even if he wasn't hitting shots like he like we thought he should be, he would be doing other things. Like, he would be getting the ball. He'd help distribute the ball. But he was their most consistent offensive player, and he took a lot of pressure off of Terry Rozier. And unfortunately, I did not see it in the context of what it was, but you saw Terry Rozier's numbers go down the minute Gordon Hayward stepped off the floor, and you could see the fatigue catch up with Terry Rozier. Terry, again, Gordon Hayward's first half brought a, a different ceiling to this team than we had previously seen in, in, in a very long time. He lived up to his, his $30 million a year. The problem was he only played so much of it. So, like, there is, uh, like, there's a lot of it that, for me, I did appreciate. And, for uh, again, for what he did in that first half up until that Indiana game where he broke it, basically broke his foot and he didn't come back, he was their best, most consistent offensive player, and I guess that's something that that should not get lost. Yeah, I mean, he he's the guy. Like like we said, if he plays more games, then we're probably putting him in, putting him in Player of the Year consideration. And I guess Lamelo, I think he played what what was it total? Was it fifty one? I think he missed twenty one games. And so yep. I guess yeah yeah, if you wanted to nitpick, you could say Lamelo only played seven games more. Is that enough to separate him? And you'd have a good point. You know, if if you wanted to bring that 
that up, that's fine. I think the overall excitement of LaMelo for the kind of definition that Michelob Ultra Player of the Year is going to give you, you know, I think that excitement, I think him bursting on the scene, I think him coming back, him winning you some games as well. I, I think that's why I think most of us would put LaMelo in there maybe more than Gordon, but you do look at the total games and it is only seven more. There is a point to be made there. Either way, Gordon just on the outside looking in and it's really all injury related. That's what it is. So um, really a nice year for Gordon when he was on the court, really, uh, a really a, a very nice statistical year for him and had a good impact, but just didn't play enough games to make that list for us. So he's just on the outside looking in. And then let's go to Devonte real quickly before we focus on PJ, the next couple of segments, not mm -hmm. a, you know, we were looking at some of the stretches, right? We had Malik in that one, that 30 game sample that we got where he was really good. We went to, you know, PJ is here as well, right? We'll get to him yeah. more. So kind of tie him in, in the second segment, he's got that stretch pretty much in April at the end of the season where he was awesome. And then at the very end of the season, he tailed off and just was awful shooting. And so it brought his numbers back down. But right before that, when he came back from the injury, PJ is involved here. So we talked about PJ Gordon Malik as honorable mentions. And then I asked who else are we forgetting? And you said, I really can't think of anybody else. And then you get to Devonte, and it's like, well, duh, we got to mention the most improved player of the year candidate from last year. We got to mention somebody that comes in with all of this hype, all of this excitement, someone that I have mentioned a ton of times was willing and was okay to take that bet on giving him an extension before the season started. And I'm, kind of glad the Hornets didn't listen to me. You know, I, <laughs> I, I look, I don't think it's going to be the worst thing in the world for the Hornets, but it's something that I, I wanted to take a bet on. There's not many great things that happen with this organization in their past and their history. And so I wanted to take that risk and Devante, we were looking at some of the stretches, right? We were trying to put yeah. them in with the PJ Malik and Gordon, right? Like so some substantial consecutive games of really good basketball. So, so the best stretches that I could find, and it's all arbitrary. Maybe you could find some better games to, you know, count consecutively or whatever, but there's about an 11 game sample that you can go to with Devante earlier in the year. And then before he gets hurt, he shot 40% from the field. He shoots over 40% from three point line. He does it on nice volume. He's getting about six assists per game and he's not turning the ball over. You go to a stretch that he had later in the year when he comes back from injury and then he goes out again, right? He was kind of in and out of the lineup. No long-term injury for Devonte, but just kind of banged up all the time. Not he's giving you the same kind of stats. And yeah. I, and I think, I think what you get there from Devonte that's the best version of Devonte Graham that you can realistically expect for long stretches. He can come in and he can give you something crazy. We all remember the 40 point game against Brooklyn. We all know about some times where he's able to hit nine threes, right? Like he's just the microwave guy. That is a good decision maker offensively that can assist some players knows where to be. You know, that that's valuable. I'm not killing that, right? Like this is, I, I don't want this to be mistaken for, you know, huge criticism towards Devante. But when we're talking about big time impacts, when we're trying to give the honorable mentions for the stretches that some players had, yeah. Devante's best stretches are 40% from the field. Like you're hoping he gets to just 40 from the field overall. 
and three point percentage, it's over 40 and taking care of the ball, uh, facilitating the basketball nicely. But that, that is the substantial best version of Devante. And of course you're going to have your ebbs and flows with the type of player that he is because it's a make or miss league. He's a make or miss player in that regard when it comes to that. I mean, he, look, he can, he can facilitate at a high level. We've talked about that a lot, but the two point percentage we've beaten a million times. It's just really bad for him. That's the best version of Devante. How valuable do you find that? Nada. Here's the thing, like, and this is something I talked about before we started recording, like, Devante, like, is valuable as someone that sets the tone for a second unit. But at the end of the day, how val- that's very valuable, but it's not in terms of the hierarchy. Terry was more valuable this year. Miles was more valuable this year. Gordon was more valuable this year. And, like, for stretches, you could, com- you could really make the case that Malik was more valuable. But the steadiness and the consistency that Devontae brought when he was healthy and when he could defend and we- when he could do a lot of things, that did help. The problem is, like, there's a cap, there's a ceiling to what he can do, and we're starting to see him bump up against that cap. And it's kind of why when we get to the – to the Devontae Graham episode of the player capsule, we're going to have to have ourselves a really frank and honest conversation about how much you pay this guy. Mm -hmm. That said, for everything involved, I just do believe that we're going to have this – like, there's a value, but in terms of the hierarchy, value is more like four, five, six than one, two, three. I I think that's a problem. Yeah. All right. Well, we can get into that more when Devonte Graham's day comes, but it's PJ Washington's day. We'll get to his stretch of basketball. That was good, but that's this week's Michelob ultra player of the year nominees, as far as the honorable mentions go, but feel free to write in and say anything. Maybe there's a stretch. Maybe there's a player that we didn't give enough love to. Maybe you can even give us like the couple of games that Jalen McDaniels showed up. If you want to, you know, if you want to give some love to Jalen McDaniels, say, Hey, what about when we needed a wing and Jalen stepped up? If if you want to give him some love, feel free to do so at Walker mail at not of the scribe at locked on Hornets. And you can talk about Michelob ultra player of the year nominees. It brings you joy. It brings you happiness. It brings you enjoyment. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. So only 2.2, uh, 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment is not the end game. It is the whole game. We've got a whole episode for you. The next couple of segments all on PJ Washington. It's coming up next locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. I don't like doing that unless, like, I am totally annoyed. I don't drop the big joker in spades or that early. I don't drop the big joker. I only do it when I am officially annoyed, and I don't want to have this conversation. And I'm going to be real honest with you, Walker. I the last thing I want to be talking about at 10 at night is Blake Griffin and the possibility of him coming here. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. One reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money that you can then use for other important things like the mortgage or your food. So why would you choose to spend up to 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? RockAuto.com, it's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. And you can go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The catalog, it's unique and it's remarkably easy to navigate. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low 
low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, let's get to PJ. Malik, number one. PJ number two, you think that I was indeed the master of the random wheel generating names, but in fact, I only am adhering to the random wheel generating names. And so PJ is number two on this list. So let me go through the overall counting stats for you and talk a little about the efficiency for PJ. He averaged 12.9 points per game this season. He did so shooting 44% from the field. He did that also shooting 38.6% from three on four and a half attempts from beyond the arc. He shot 74.5% from the free throw line, a 10 percentage point increase from what he did last year on the same exact volume, by the way, six and a half rebounds. He averaged two and a half assists. He averaged 1.2 blocks. His block percentage was good. So not a overall looking at your very standard of box scores, your very standard of stats right there. The first thing you see when you go to basketball reference and just overall what you go back to and look at PJ, how do you think he performed this season? He actually got better in some aspects while figuring stuff out in the first half. I think for me, at least, we have to throw out probably what the first 20 games, first 30 games of his performance. Like for what he did, he got better as the season went on to the point where he was one of the more consistent guys. He was their most consistent defensive big for what that was, for what that's worth. And granted, it's not worth much considering that the bigs were a problem all year. But there again, he was one of those guys that for me, like, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, he got better as he went, went along. And for what he did, he was awesome. And the things he didn't do. Like, the the bigger thing that I think with him was the cutting down on the live ball turnovers. Like, he would try and put the ball on the deck, get ripped, and then start a turnover. He stopped doing that. He started accentuating his own strengths while at the same time eliminating some of those weaknesses or not going to those weaknesses. And that's a player that's figuring out the game as we go. I just hope that when people hear this episode, they're not going to be like, oh, we need to trade PJ because he's, again, Miles is better now. That's the only thing I, I kind of worry about with all this. PJ was inconsistent. I'm not going to argue that. Uh, you know I am solidly in the PJ Washington fan club. I think he is a good basketball player that is really valuable to this team. What I think of PJ is he's somebody that allows you to get away with certain things in a small ball lineup that other teams just can't get away with. I've referenced his block percentage quite a bit. You've referenced how he became the best defensive center on this basketball team. It's someone that allows you to do that while playing the ideal small ball game, having the six, eight guy in there with a solid base that shot 38% from three. If you round it up, if you want to you can make it 39 like this is someone that even had his numbers hurt by his woeful shooting numbers at the end and he's just inconsistent that was the thing if you get more consistency from pj then that is what is going to unlock him going forward but the overall field goal percentage it was hurt by his decrease in two-point percentage this year you look at terry rogier right like the three-point percentage it was awesome but it was actually below what he shot last year not a ton but a little below 
what made him into a different player to have a career year this season was all inside the arc. That guy made a dramatic improvement, two point percentage, right? PJ didn't decrease in a dramatic way, but he shot 51% from two point range last year, this year, or his rookie season this year, he shot 48. So a little bit of a decrease. And if you look at just where he was shooting on the floor, it's that zero to three feet range. In his rookie season, he shot 66%. This season, Mm -hmm. he shot 61.3. You know, that was the biggest decrease when you look at all of the two point. I mean, if the one that's substantial, right? Like you can go to the 10 foot through 16 foot range and, you know, he just didn't shoot that many percentage of his overall field goals from that area. It actually was a little bit of an increase there, but still it's the 61% from in close compared to the 66 that he shot just in his rookie year. I, not a, I remember watching him in the preseason and yeah. maybe like the first couple of games of the regular year and thinking, all right, PJ, he's missing some bunnies, but that'll fix itself. And it got better, but not to the level that I wanted it to. You know, just the bunnies down low, just the strong finishing like in there were times where he would be automatic. I I, I remember tweeting PJ in the paint, been money in the bank, something like that. Like that's what he was for a nice stretch. And so we, we saw that from him. But at the beginning, he was missing some bunnies. And I think that really hurt his percentages. But overall, he got better, and I, I honestly can't wait to see what he does next year, um, hopefully improving in that area. No, that, that's the biggest thing, and it makes me, like, when you when we bring that up, it makes me wonder, like, maybe is his best position a four, and small ball five isn't really sustainable for the extent of his career, because if he's having consistently having these problems of finishing over length, then what are we going to do with him? The bigger thing that I just keep think, go, thinking about and keep going back to with him is that that jump shot's got to get he's got to be more willing to shoot the jump shot it's not that he's not oh god yeah that was maddening at the beginning of the year that was it's not that he's not making them it that's it's that he wasn't taking them and he would basically over he would be one of the biggest reasons that this team would overpass like he would pass up a shot to see to somewhat see if there was a better shot and if he he was almost afraid to take the shot sometimes, and he contributed to overpassing, which turned into uh, turnovers, and unfortunately, that can't happen. He's got to be much more willing to take those open jump shots consistently. If you miss, you miss. I don't care. At this point, I would much rather you take the shot than overpass and then end up with a turnover in a late game situation or end up in a late clock situation mm-hmm. where he's shooting or someone else is shooting a worse shot than what he has. So, like, if we're going to talk about the things that he needs to work on, finishing, again, finishing against length, probably, and then at the same time, being more willing to say, okay, I'm not going to be able to hit 37% from three this year, but 35 with a couple more three-point attempts, I'm willing to live with that. I'm pretty sure you are, too. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about PJ Washington in the next next segment. We're running out of time on this one, but first we'll bring up Bet Online. It's the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your sports action because baseball season is in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online before the next pitch. Head over there and use your laptop or your mobile device, and you can check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Sign up today and receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's nice. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on more pj analysis coming up next on the locked on hornets podcast this is locked on hornets 
I kicked the outlet past Doug and I let him run with it because you know what? He's going to do something that's going to be funnier than what I can do right now. I recognize <laughs> okay. my limitations and I'm going from there. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of that pressure. That was a lot of self-reflection within that teeing it up oh, for Doug. Man. <laughs> God. <laughs> Got a little dark. There at the yeah, end. it really did. Uh, we did. We mentioned um, self lo- self loathing <laughs> yesterday, and now we mentioned this. Not are you okay, buddy? We're gonna we're gonna talk through it. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Now you're one to have brought up a lot of the PJ Washington Miles Bridges comparisons, and not so much in the way that they're redundant on the basketball court, but in the way that PJ struggled with consistency this year. Mm-hmm. And you would compare it to do not sell on him yet. Because if you would have done that with Miles, then you would have missed out on some nice growth in what was Miles' third year, right? Taking that huge step up from his second to third season. And I know you've compared that a lot with one PJ, maybe being inconsistent, and he might have a nice step up in his year three. And he wasn't as bad as what Miles was in year two. No, Miles, he, had, he Miles had some real problems. Um, but here, here's the way I'll, I'll even you know further that point, right? And I'll kick it to you. you know, the way I would further that is in year two, we played around with Miles just to see what he could do, right? Yeah. Like we, we put the ball in his hands. What's going on with Miles? Can he do some of this where he's dribbling a little bit more? We're trying to get his usage percentage up out there on the perimeter. You know, can, can we put him in other areas on the court? Can we allow him to be an initiator in some areas? Can he create his own shot? What can he do? And we found out what he could do, what, we, what he couldn't, and just kind of, you know, maybe we're honing on the skills where maybe there were flashes. With PJ, when you talk about him passing up on those three-point shots, it's not even necessarily so much to me that he was passing them to another player. It's that I think he had it so much in his head that he was trying to create his own shot and try to show his athleticism and put the ball on the deck more. What I got so mad at was that he would pass up a three-pointer, a guy would be closing out, and then he would try to put the ball on the deck, expound upon those skills, and drive towards the basket and pass up an open three-pointer. And that's what I would get mad at because people DJ mentioned a few times with media access that he wants to enhance his skills on ball more. So he wanted to be somebody that didn't have to be assisted when making a shot. He wanted to be able to put the ball on the deck, maybe take you off of the dribble and he would pass up three point shots by doing that. And that's what would drive me mad. And I think he started to settle down a little in that regard as the season went on. And I think his percentages benefited from that. So maybe next year, PJ comes in knowing what he didn't know coming into last year, James Borrego, the same thing regarding PJ. And we can see him hit the ground running the other. And and I use that (laughs) with, you know, uh, I use that for a reason because hell, if he hits the ground running coming into the season, it will be something he did not do last year because he came in out of shape, right? That was something James Borrego did. And I think that was probably something that got him in the doghouse early because Borrego took him to the woodshed for that saying, Hey, PJ has got to come in and shape next time. And once he is, then we'll give him the proper playing time. We'll give him the proper love. Now, it's funny you mention that because I was just now thinking about it. PJ was probably one of the most players hurt by the pandemic because, remember, that general jump from the first season to the second season that most rookies get, he didn't get this year because he didn't get the proper gym time. Now, granted, we did see a lot of video during the pandemic of Miles being out there. 
Terry being out there, the Martin twins being out there. Their Malik Monk put a highlight video out with with like some familiar voices, right, Walker? Mm-hmm. Like there's yes, all that. Yes, I do remember that. There, there there was a lot of there was a lot of video. So, but the big thing is the instruction, the video instruction. They could not gather until what almost two weeks before the season. That kind of ma- that. that like there's a lot of this that when we evaluate PJ, you have to take that into into effect. Like you have to take that, you have to count that. Like there's a lot of this that doesn't. Like when we have these discussions about PJ Washington, we have to remember that his off season was not like any other off season, and for his growth, his growth was kind of stunted. And we saw that he started getting out of that tailspin. But I wonder what he's going to be able to work on for multiple like for multiple months now now that he's got all this time off that kind of matters yeah so when we have those official like he's already in the gym now with these guys they weren't in the gym together for very long at all at the beginning of the season and when it comes to evaluating him that kind of matters when we look at it yeah, and sometimes these guys self-admittedly just need to grow up. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. I know anything about PJ behind the scenes. You know, PJ, by all accounts, was a dude that came in and was pretty damn disciplined his rookie year. It was something that we kind of praise, that most people praise, because he comes in preseason and it's like, oh, <laughs> okay, this guy should be starting not now, but he should be starting right now. Remember, like we all kind of were like, oh, okay, it's like it's PJ's like that, and then boom, first game comes out and goes for twenty-seven, which was his career high for a long time until the Sacramento game where he went for forty-two and essentially won them that game against the Kings. Um, you know, and here's the other thing too: like coming into the season, PJ was always going to be really intriguing, and we talked about him trying to expound upon that skill set a lot, putting the ball on the deck, trying to create for others, trying to create for himself. And that's where the turnovers came in. You know, it, it, it got to be pretty sloppy because he was trying to do something that he wasn't comfortable doing and, and yet, and, and maybe ever to a real comfortable degree. But what we did see him improve on Nada, it is the defensive end of the floor. Yes. And I think that's, what's interesting. We come in with all this emphasis on offense and deservedly so, right? Like that's, you know, offense is fun. You know, I, I wanted to see what he could do as far as creating. And there is a ceiling to be had there, but defensively what he did, was show you that you can get away with things that other teams can't while he plays the five because he has an ability to protect the rim better than most guys his size can. And then you have Miles on top of that can can come over and help side swat something into the stands if PJ isn't there to clean something up when you run that small ball lineup. That that is a fun lineup that had a positive rating. You know there there is a reason they finished in the plus with substantial minutes there. To your point, you're right when you shouldn't expect PJ to play the small ball five all the time, it was just the best lineup. So of course you're going to have to get a big guy through free agency. Maybe you address that player in the draft at 11 overall, but what I love to see is that Borrego can go to that. And I bet he does, you know, it's going to be our junior varsity death lineup here in Charlotte. When when you've got the big guy out there taking the pounding and the bruising that the big guys can put on you in an NBA game, and then you go to the death lineup, it's time to score. Um, five minutes left to go. Let's go ahead and hit some threes, get back in it, separate ourselves, just wear out the defense and bring the big man out to the perimeter. 
PJ, you go in and you don't have to worry about guys attacking you as much down low and them just scoring bunches on you because PJ showed that ability to defend the rim. And that's what I uh, was happy to see from PJ this season. Yeah, PJ, again, here's the thing. Can we like change the name of the junior varsity death lineup to slight illness? It'll make you sick. It's not going to kill you, though. This is this is a lineup that I do think is going to be a lot of closing lineups, but you just have to have the size to withstand it earlier. And it's kind of why yeah. we're, we're going to see them address center in multiple different ways at this point. The The big thing, though, is we're seeing it with the Clippers almost. Like, you can go five small, five out, and do a lot of damage if you have the right pieces in place. We're seeing it with old friend Nick Batum as one of the guys they're closing this out with. So... Like this, this is a very possible thing. PJ is going to unlock a lot of things. It's just about him getting his skill set and honing his skill set and having a full summer to hone on on his craft. And I'm not worried about him. He's not one of those guys. I want to just trade all willy nilly. It's got to be worth it for me to trade him. And I hope that's the way the Hornets look at it this as well because. There is no, it's either Miles Bridges or P.J. Washington to me. Not anymore. No. They're two different guys. Totally right. Yeah. They're two different and, guys. Yeah, and, and I and I wasn't as set in cement in that regard, but when we would talk about these players, we always kind of leaned towards it was one or the other, and that's not true. You know, it, it, it's not true anymore. That small ball lineup, that's fun, and it can be, it can be extremely effective. And I want to talk about one other thing because I think it's important before we end today's show. You brought up... PJ is not somebody that I want to trade willy nilly, right? The, PJ has become everyone's favorite trade chip that the sign and trade with Devonte is somewhat popular. You know, Malik Monk, I don't think anybody's really throwing in sign and trade it just, he's kind of fallen off a little bit out of sight, out of mind a little while. So there you go. But PJ has been the guy that I think Hornets fans find value in, but enough value to be the swing chip in getting somebody talented enough back for the Charlotte Hornets. And so when we talk about Miles Turner, I know you're interested in including PJ Washington. Um, I, I know you're including PJ Washington and that, right? Like yeah. th that's the kind of caliber player you want back if you're going to get rid of PJ. And I understand that I disagree, but I understand it. You know, I, I'm with you as far as PJ, I, I think people are trying to trade him too much is my point. No, you know, no, I, I do agree with you. I, yeah. I think there's got to be a certain level in order for him to, like, if you told me that it would take PJ 11 and maybe another first to get up to the top three, yo, I'm willing to do that because it's Evan Mobley. But mm -hmm. if that, but that's got to be, like, it's got to be a high value asset. It has to be a high value asset for me to even consider trading PJ. I'm not trading him all willy-nilly. I'll just take the depth and I'll take the rookie level contract of someone that's really, really good at what they do. I'm yeah, not, you have a lot of control of him left, man. You exactly. Do. Like, he's not one of those guys I trade, like, will, again, there's got to be some sort of level. It's got to make some sort of sense because for right now, like, these guys are solid doubles. You don't pass on solid doubles. You don't pay them either, but you don't pass on them when they still have a ton of value as they are right now. Well, it's this early in the game, you don't have to pay him, you know, exactly. and, and, and we'll see. But yeah, you don't have to pay him early in the game. That's the beauty of a rookie contract. That's the beauty of these guys, you know, realizing their potential, at, at least to some early degree. And when somebody can shoot consistently 
37, 38 to 39% from three and have the defensive versatility down in the paint that PJ does. I, I don't want to make him out to be Rudy Gobert, but also I, I want people to realize this is someone that has versatility that other people his size don't. He is strong. You know, he can use that strength better at times, certainly rebounding too, but PJ has some tools that are pretty damn valuable to Charlotte Hornets team. And if he can be more consistent and he knocks shots down at a higher clip, even down low, maybe you take some of that pressure off of him, small ball five by putting a bigger uh, body out there on the floor more. So I think that's when we see PJ even take that next step. That'll do it. PJ Washington player capsule. What's the next one on the list? Nada, do you remember what's the I next player that we have tomorrow? Not hold on. Give me, give me one sec. Cause I got to look at your text messages just to make sure. Because yeah, it, we're, we're, we're again, we're doing this in a way. Ah, remember, <laughs> y- y- again, we said we'll talk about Devontae Graham. We'll talk about Devontae Graham. Guess who's next, Walker? Is he is he next? Is that yes, right? He is. Oh, man. Perfect. I don't even know. I knew it subconsciously, apparently, but I did not know for sure. Thanks to Michelob Ultra for supporting the show. And as always, thanks to you listeners for supporting the show. Tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Lockdown NBA. Hollinger and Duncan, really any show on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Have a great day. We'll be back with you tomorrow.